Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. Making you all work today with that much of a responsive reading. Thank you very much for hanging in there. I said to the Sunday school class that I'm teaching this uh, during uh, the next couple of weeks, I said to him, I said, there's no gospel reading for this morning. And I, there might have been a hairy eyeball when I said that. I'm not quite sure. It's hard underneath all these masks. I'm still trying to figure out who's glaring at me and who's not. Um, but I'm hoping that we can find the gospel in the readings that we do have today. So thank you for sticking it out. We are in the middle of a sermon series that we're entitled The Pilgrim's Way. And we are figuring out that if it is true that we are a new creation, as Paul writes, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. If that is true, well, how do we get to discover what that new creation is all about? And to shrink it all down, we've been saying that the Psalms provide a roadmap and are a tool for us to learn how to pray. And in prayer, we learn what that new creation is all about. We learn about ourselves and we learn about God. If you want to catch up on the sermons that we've been talking about, the conversations we've been having, uh, we do have the podcast. It's on YouTube. You can go back and check it out. But we're going to jump right into this passage today because this passage that we have is one of my very favorites and everybody groans and says, oh no, it's never good when the pastor preaches their favorite passages. But trust me on this one for a second. We talked last week that the fa- that the, about the fact that the Psalms and our prayers... Our best prayers don't come at us detached from our own stories, but our prayers come up out of our own stories. And last week we looked at the specificity of the Psalms, that 116 of 150 have some kind of context that is given to the Psalm, and it speaks to the sacredness of our own experiences. And that if we are to pray well, we have to pray out of that experience. We simply just can't pray these words that kind of exist up here. We have to pray up and out of our own lives. But while that is true on one hand, there's another hand to be considered today. Because our stories aren't the only story that informs our prayer. I'll say it again. All all prayer comes from story. But our story isn't the only story that informs our prayer. It may seem rather obvious to you, but let us say it nevertheless, that the story of Scripture has a story all its own, and that it is one intended to give context to our lives, to provide encouragement, yes, and also challenge, and ultimately to give meaning and purpose to our lives. Our stories are a great place to start, but even our own stories are in the context of what God is doing in the world. And we have to pay attention to that story as well if we are to pray well. And so let me say it plainly that understanding Scripture and loving Scripture is essential to the life of prayer. If we do not love our own sacred text, we cannot pray well. We might pray a lot, but that's different than praying well. We cannot pray well unless we take a deep interest in the stories of our forebears, the story of faith that has been handed down to us. Now, the good news, because some of us are bored by this, yes, I'm getting ready to start confirmation in two weeks, and I'm not really all that convinced that the six young men and women we have are like gung-ho about the scripture. I'm a realist about this, 
One of them is, two of them are my own children. I know it's like, oh, we got to listen to daddy talk about God more. I'm sure they're very excited about that. So I don't always expect that all of us together are like, yes, I love the scriptures. As if somehow it was all about us. Here's the good news. We are called to take an interest in the scriptures, but we can rest assured that the scriptures already take an interest in us. This is a two-way street, and God is already faithful that the scriptures that have been handed down take an interest in us. They are written towards us. And I think this is important because sometimes our disinterest in the scriptures is as if the scriptures stand over and against us and just bark commands at us, as if they're not interested in our lives. That's never how they've been, that's not how they were intended to be read. They are a relational text, not an information text. They are meant to give and receive love because they are meant to reveal God who gives and receives love. Our relationship with the scripture, like our relationship with God, is not a one-sided relationship. It is a shared relationship. Friends, the book that you hold in your hands is interested in you. Each text is about speaking to us and with us. And so if that is true, then each and every one of our texts has something to say about forming us. So as an example, let's talk about this text from Genesis. Now, I had this haul written out, and then I wanted to bring you greetings from an old friend of yours, John and Rebecca Schillenberg. I had the opportunity to have coffee with them this week, and wouldn't you know, we ended up talking about this very text. They brought it up, not me. And so we had this conversation about how this first passage of Genesis is so poorly read. There are a great many texts that we misread or mishandle. And I'm here to tell you there are a great many texts that I have mishandled from a pulpit. The scriptures are a challenge. All of us do it. But this one has a, peculiar, has a peculiar place of privilege in that we miss this one in such gross ways, this first chapter of Genesis. And it never even occurs to us that we've missed what it's trying to do. Think about it. Why would we assume that our sacred, holy, religious text would open with a science lesson. If you were God and could put together a text, why would you say, I want to have this relationship with my people, but what I'm going to do is stick you in a seventh grade biology class and start there. I loved seventh grade biology. It was a really, really awful way to get to know God. Its job is not to deliver science to us. Its job is to set the stage. It asks some questions of us. It asks, who are you? Who is God? And what are we doing here? And if we read it from this angle, it is one of the most fascinating passages in all the scripture because it goes first. It is so important that it goes first. It's at the beginning because it's essential. It has something to teach us about faith. And if it is to teach about faith, then it will teach us, by extension, about prayer because it was written by a people at prayer. And the question is at, at the heart of this Genesis 1 passage is profound. If we are a new creation, how does God create? If we are a new creation, how does God create? So it opens where our own souls begin. That moment when we're baptized, that moment when we 
embrace our faith for the first time, that first time that we become aware of God and we want to pursue God, the scriptures begin where our own souls do. We are to see ourselves in these opening sentences. Chaos. Chaos. Total and complete lack of order. And anybody who has ever tried praying, anybody who has ever seriously set out on the path of faith, you know it's like one step, two steps, I don't have any idea what's going on in my life. Anybody who's gone down this road knows that. But God is hovering. One commentator says, the pre-Genesis condition of the cosmos is our own inner life. The Hebrew words tohu and bohu, which I'm not exactly sure what they mean, but they don't sound great. Tohu and bohu, without form and void. Things are not right. We are not right. Our emotions bolt and stampede. Our thoughts run riots. Our bodies hurt. Our appetites play havoc with our virtue. We can't, it seems, direct our own destiny with dignity or wisdom for 10 consecutive minutes. And I love the snark and the, re- the reality that is hidden in that last sentence. We can't direct our own destiny with dignity or wisdom for 10 consecutive minutes. But unlike other Near Eastern stories because there are a lot of creation stories out there. This story isn't one of antagonism. Other cultures told this as there was this great ocean and then God was at war with the chaos. We love a good war story, don't we? But the Hebrews didn't. The Hebrews paint God in this passage, yes, as more of a mother hen. God sees the chaos but isn't threatened by it. By extension, God sees your chaos and isn't threatened by it. What a thought for you and me as we open our day, as we open our week, yes? God already knows the insanity that is your life, and God's fine with it. God wants to relieve you of that burden, but God's okay that your life's a little out of whack. God isn't threatened by it. Right off the bat, we have a gentle, benevolent, and yes, even a clever God. The corner of the mouth goes up a little bit, and God says, I got this, and that is where faith starts. Immediately, God begins to create, yes? And God said, let there be light. God starts to create order from the disorder. And if we're listening to the scriptures, we begin to discern these rhythms, right? Evening, morning, the first day, the second day, the third day. You'll forgive me for not reading the entirety of the story, but I think we read enough this morning that you understand the rhythms. Disorder slowly and surely gives way to order. Chaos becomes cosmos. The spastic chaos of life gives way to the ordered and rhythmic work of God. But the work of God isn't just in the story. We may be very well familiar with this. God separated the lights. He called the day. He called it the night. There was evening. It was morning the first day. But it's not just in the order that God creates things. There's an order in the words themselves. There's this almost call and response. Let there be. And there was. God saw that it was, God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning. The writer falls very much into a a pattern, into a systemic way of writing. Do not mistake this. Do not miss this. Because as creation is being ordered, so is the passage. The passage itself is being set into an order and into a rhythm. In fact, it almost sounds like a liturgy. 
You can hear a call and response in the words, and there was evening, and you all would respond, and there was morning, the leader saying in the first day. And God saw, and you all would respond, it was good. There's a liturgy to this, call and response. The words themselves are ordered into a structure. And this is important for us, because as we think about how we learn to pray, how does God create God takes our chaotic prayers and brings them into into a structure that can hold, contain, and help us to discern the remarkable things that we witness and seek in our lives. God takes the chaos and says, I'm going to make something out of this, but in order for you to perceive it, you need order, so I'm going to give that to you. In our own prayer life, how does God create the new creation? It moves from God's love to liturgy. This is not by accident, friends. We are shaped by our rhythms. Those of you who are in my prayer class are sick of hearing me say it. Our prayers, we are shaped by our rhythms. Our prayers no less than our work schedules or our eating habits. While certainly spontaneity and surprise are a part of our faith, yes, the new creation we are called to be will invite us into new rhythms of living and, yes, new rhythms of praying. Again, in commentator said, we pray better and best when we let the rhythm of the creating word of God work themselves into the rhythm of our living and then find, ex- and then find expression in the psalmic rhythms of prayer. We pray best when we let God's ordering, God's new creating, find its way into the rhythms of our own living. Now, before you say, well, liturgy is like, really boring and it's just rote and nobody means it well let me slow you down this is no rote recitation or some boring church service it is God's creative genius working in your life is that boring to you that the creator of the universe is creating you in with the same kind of miracles Genesis gives us us these rhythms that is the way that new creation will emerge in your lives. Chaos into cosmos. And while these rhythms are essential, there's also a tweak to them because God always does it with a bit of a smile on God's face. We get these rhythms, but not in the way that we expected. So we are used to living our lives, yes, morning, afternoon, and night, yes, But that is not how they are delivered to us in the scriptures. It says, it's always there was evening and there was morning. Beginning in the dark and then moving towards the portions that are light. And in the same way, prayer begins in the acknowledgement of the darkness, of the chaos. The darkness that is over the face of the deep that is in our own souls. And then, only then, awakens us to the light of day that God is creating in our lives. We lie down and sleep, and then we arise to discover God's activity, that God was working long before you became aware of it. The darkness is no longer chaos. The darkness is the presence of God's continuing creative activity. In other words, the darkness is grace. So if this is how God creates, then it is significant then that Psalm 4 is an evening prayer. And Psalm 5 is a morning prayer. Psalm 4 is an evening prayer and Psalm 5 is a morning prayer. 
The psalmist clearly doesn't believe that evening and morning are accidents. Rather, the psalmist understands that they are clues to living into the relationship with a living and active God who is making you a new creation. So Psalm 4 picks up this theme of Psalm 3, which we read a couple weeks ago, where the psalmist is in significant trouble and is seeking to sort that trouble out. Another commentator writes, Psalm 4 marks the transition from the daylight world in which it is easy to suppose that we are in control to the night world in which we relinquish our grip on our jobs, our people, even thoughts, and experience the will that is greater than ours, the God who answers previous to our asking, who acts previous to our prompting. You see, friends, if our faith starts in grace, it doesn't begin with the things we do. It doesn't begin with our decisions or even our awareness. The very life we live suggests that there is something deeper that is going on. God works before we are aware of it. And that is what this evening prayer is all about. But we struggle with this. You can read along in your bulletin. The very first line is, Answer me when I call, O God of my right. But as you watch the prayer unfold, we arrive at a very different place. By the end of it, after the screaming and the yelling of this day has been terrible, the psalmist arrives at a place where he says, in peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. And there is no resolution to his problem. No answer is achieved. You see, we don't make ourselves into new creations. We are called into God's rhythms. Interesting, isn't it, that we get a direct instruction in the middle of this psalm says, when you are disturbed, ponder it on your bed and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. This is the first thing we are invited to do. Lay down, be still, and let God have God's way. The first step in prayer is to reconnect with the God who is active in our lives before we are aware. And what God says is that I'm making you a new creation. I will not abandon you. I've got you. And what God is speaking into the depths of our souls is there is something more essential to you than the craziness of your life. There is something deeper and truer about you than your calendar or even the relationships that want to go sideways and your lack of finances and your uncertainty at work and this whole pandemic and all of it. There's something more real about you than that and that is that God is involved in your life. So lay down and put your trust in the Lord. And from that evening base, we sleep in peace and we awake to the wonder of morning in Psalm 5. And the prayer, much like children, awake with a lot to say. He says, give ear, give heed, listen. He's yelling at God. As soon as he gets up, he's got a laundry list of things God needs to take care of. But the psalmist has a real conviction that God hears when we pray. He says, in the morning you hear my voice. We pray because we believe God is listening. And in this way, we, we wake up discovering that God is already taking care of things in our lives. We lift up the needs that are before us. We cry out to God and we ready ourselves for action. Psalm 5 bridges the passive, passivities of grace and it leads us into the activities of obedience. We rest in God's goodness, yes. But then abandon that, if, if we rest in God's goodness, but then abandon that trust in a flurry of anxiety and fear in the morning, then we've lost the very base of who we are. Psalm 5 trains us to do this work. It lays out for us by contrasting possibilities. 
says, now that you've leaned into God, now that you've let yourself just rest, there are two paths for you to walk down this day. The first is evil behavior. It says, you are not a God who delights in wickedness. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You destroy those who speak lies. It says, you go down that path, it ain't going to end well for you. But then it offers to the prayer a more positive way, a way of obedience. I will enter your house. Lead me in your righteousness. Make my way straight. These texts of obedience, how we shall live our lives, come after we've trusted and rested in God. They are based in the assumptions we learned, not in our activities, but in our sleep, that God is moving, that God is already at work today, and he simply invites us into the steady, obedient rhythms of obedience that will join with the rhythms of God's grace and move us all towards life. Action, friends, is on the backside of surrender and sleep. There was evening, and then there was morning. And that is how we are created. So friends, I know in this room, there is a lot of wrestling going on. Many of you have discussed it with me. My life is insanity. It's the place where God's grace is going to break through. There is evening, and God always promises there is morning on the other side. Let yourselves rest in God's goodness. Offer it up to God and lie down in peace, for the Lord will watch over you. And when we arise the next day, the Psalms invite us, they beckon us quietly but, un- but assuredly to walk confidently in the steps before us. Not because we've got to earn God's favor, but because says, God says, I already got this. Just join me in what I'm doing. I am the one doing the creating. I'm creating the world. I'm creating you. Rest and follow me.